0: Worship you, (coughs) Master. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your presence, God. We thank you for your healing. We thank you for your love. of Acts chapter 4 and we'll begin reading in verse 1 and when you got it say so and we will read from verse 1 to verse 14 since I was able to go through the first two points last week the Bible says now as they spoke to the people the priests the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, Which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing by them, they could say nothing against it. God, we're grateful today for your love. We're grateful today for your spirit, for your presence. We're grateful today, Lord God, because you are in control of all things, God. We thank you because you are all wise. We thank you because you are almighty, God. Thank you because you are gracious and kind. And Father, as I pray today for this message, Lord, that I'll share, Lord, I just want to touch and agree with, My sister Yolanda, Lord God, for her daughters, dear Jesus. Father, as I prayed this morning, I forgot to mention them, and I just pray with this mother today, Lord God. We agree with this mother today. Heavenly Father, for the healing of her daughter Rochelle, my God. Father God, that your hand would be upon them, Lord God, as she has declared in faith, however you choose to work, they will accept it. But God, their faith and their hope is in you, Lord God. Father, their trust is in your hand, in your will, and so above all things, the one thing that we come against, Lord God, is any sickness, my God. Father God, we pray that you would keep these two daughters, Lord God, Rochelle and Renee, healthy, my God, and that if this transplant is to be the way that you choose to work, so be it, God. We just pray for your will, your glory, and we ask you this all in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we humble our hearts before your word today and we ask you to be glorified, Lord God, in the next few moments. I pray that you would use me, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. May you glorify yourself and make us doers of your word, not hearers alone. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Someone said. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so I'm going to go over some of the things that I said last week. I just want to reiterate them. I don't want to preach on them for long. But I do want to tell you the title of the message is the results of the gospel. And so... As we're going through the book of Acts and we're dealing with the gospel that is being preached, we're dealing with the messages that are being preached. There's different themes that come up in these chapters. And in this chapter, one of the things that we see clearly is what is the result? What is it that happens as a result of preaching the gospel? And the first thing is this, is that preaching the gospel will always have results. Some are immediate, and others are more gradual. I gave you my testimony last week. I won't go through that again, but what I do want to say is that I did not immediately hear the gospel and respond. It took a while for me to respond to the gospel. Nonetheless, God was working, and so I thank him for his grace. In the lives of many of you, statistically what they say is that it takes about seven times for a person to hear the gospel before they actually respond to it, which means for us, and and I love the way that they're becoming a contagious Christian— curriculum puts it we don't know which part in the link of the chain we are we may be the first part in the link that is communicating the gospel with someone the first time we may also be the middle link we may be the last link all of us want to be the last link amen and, and listen, that's just a, that is just a statistic. Some people, the first time they hear the gospel, they get it, they respond, in a pro in a positive way, and they say, "Jesus, I want you, I need you, I acknowledge that." Other people, not so much. And so, here is the point: the point is that we need to be effective, faithful gospel witnesses. We need to be those that communicate the gospel in love, that we communicate the gospel as clearly as we possibly can. That is the reason why I endeavor every week to make sure that I do share the gospel in the message that I preach, that I do make it clear that man are sinners, that all of us, say all of us, we are all lawbreakers. That's what a sinner is. It is someone who breaks the laws of God. It is someone who violates God's laws. Every one of us in here is that. There is a difference, though. Some of us have bowed our heart to Jesus. Some of us have said, Jesus, I recognize that I am a lawbreaker. I realize that as a lawbreaker, there are consequences to breaking the law. Amen, somebody? there are consequences. The the unfortunate reality is that a person who is a breaker of God's law, they don't get sentenced to a week in in prison somewhere. They don't get sentenced to some kind of community service hours. There is no place called purgatory. The reality is that lawbreakers unfortunately because they break God's laws and they do not care to honor God as God, they would rather worship their own ideas or worship their own idols. What ends up happening is that they are separated from God for all of eternity as a consequence for breaking laws and that is a time that a person will spend in hell that is a scary place that is the bad news the good news of the gospel is what Jesus It is that Jesus died in my place. Jesus was not a lawbreaker. Jesus did not break the laws. He was perfect. He lived righteously, and he did all of this, and he was still rejected, beaten, and then crucified for me. He bore all of my sin. And so what does that mean? That means the good news is that through Jesus... Every person who breaks the law is offered the opportunity to respond in the affirmative and say, God, I'm a lawbreaker. I receive your forgiveness through your son. And that is what we have to be faithful to do when it comes to preaching the gospel, to make sure that people are understanding that this thing is not just about being a good person. You see, because we can come to church and we can think that that's what it's about. It's just about me being better. I need to be better this week than I was last week. That is not what it's about. It is about me acknowledging continuously my need and my dependence on Jesus for his grace so that way his life can reflect through my life better. Amen? It's not about me being better. It's not about me stopping doing this or starting doing that. It is about me acknowledging my desperate need for Jesus. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's about acknowledging that continually. It is about depending upon him for everything in my life. I don't depend on myself. I, there, there's responsibility that I have. Like, I have to be the one to say, Lord, I submit to you. I acknowledge my sin. I have to do that. Jesus is not going to do that for me. There's some things that, like, I, like, you know, I need to get up and pray, amen, hallelujah, have conversations and and coaching folks, and I'm like, listen, God's grace is sufficient. You know what Jesus told his disciples when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? They were up in there, and and he was over there praying, you know, because he was in that broken moment in his life, and he was there saying, Father, if you can remove this cup, please do so. Not my will, but your will. When he gets up in agony of soul, he's got his three, you know, best friends with him, and what are they doing? sleeping. He's like, what is wrong with y'all, man? Wake up. He said, he said, listen, he tells him this. He says, you need to pray so you do not enter into temptation. Because of what? He said, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He goes back, comes back again. What are they doing? Still sleeping. They didn't get it. Just like all of us, we don't get it. Amen. That's, that, that's why, you know, we struggle with our snooze buttons. Hello. Come on, somebody. Let's keep it real, right? We str- alarm goes off. You're like, yes, I'm going to start praying tomorrow. Alarm goes off. You're like, well, I can start praying tomorrow. You know, whatever the case. Here's, here's the thing. The thing is, I have responsibility. But nonetheless, who gives me the grace? God Almighty. He gives me the grace that when I get up, who's the one that strengthened me? It wasn't because I was such a great person. Listen, everything inside of me didn't want to get up to pray. Hello. See, I'm just talking about me because I know none of y'all struggle with that, right? Just All y'all just jump up. You're like, yes, sir, I'm here to pray. Glory to God. I know. I'm just saying me. I, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I know me. It's, you know, everything inside of me is fighting against that now. Once I get into the flow, it's a different story. But, but, but from the, the bed to the flow. From the bed to the flow, that, that, that's a different case. That's the spirit is willing. Hello, somebody. But the flesh is weak. And so it's God's grace that enables me to get into the place that I need to. And I respond in obedience, and even that ability to respond is what? It is by his grace. And so the results of preaching the gospel are always a win for the ones sharing it. Let me say that again. The results of preaching the gospel are always a win for the ones sharing it. Even when you are not the last chain in the link, even when you are rejected for preaching the gospel, even when you are criticized for communicating the gospel, even when you are made fun of for preaching the gospel, no matter what it is, it is always a win for me, for you as a Christian. So we don't do it because it feels good because it does not always feel good to preach the gospel. Especially to those people that don't want to hear it. And let me tell you something. This is just from my own personal experience. The thing that breaks my heart the most is not the rejection. It's not the difficult conversation. It's the understanding that, man, that person that I just spoke to is now accountable after we have had this conversation for their sin. That person is now accountable for everything I've communicated, for everything you've communicated. That is the heart. That is the part that breaks my heart. And so, nonetheless, it is always a win for us. I said this looking at verses 1 through 4 last week. Say it with me. Say there is almost always... A mixed response to the message. And verses 1 through 4, we see that the, the apostles are preaching this message of the gospel as the result of this healing of this man. And the result is that the chief priests, that the, um, that the captains of the temple, that the Sadducees, that all of these people, they are disturbed by the hearing of the message. They're disturbed because of what is being communicated. And then the scripture says, but there were many who believed. And so the church went from being about 3,000 people to about 5,000 men is what the Bible says. And so we see a mixed response. Some people respond in faith. Some people respond in doubt. They, re- they, they reject the message and so we see that there's always a response There was, th- there was an amazing um, miracle that took place It was undeniable as we talked about And what I want to say is this This is the one point that I'll say under this one that I said last week There is no such thing as a neutral response when it comes to the gospel There's no such thing as, you know, I'm neutral Listen, you e- when, when Jesus starts walking, you are either following him or you are not but I'm not walking backwards. I don't care. You're not moving forward. That was a decision. He said, follow me. In other words, walk with me. So I'm just, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm, you did make a decision. You made a decision not to follow him. And there are some other decisions that are a little bit more intense, the ones that are totally opposing him. But, you know, someone who can sit there and they can kindly say, you know, and, and, you know, especially in our day, you know, in the politically correct day that we live in, you know, people are not, you know, sometimes they're like, well, we're not going to argue about that. Nonetheless, no matter whether they argued, whether they agreed or disagreed, they made a decision. They made a decision as politely as it was. Hello. As nice as it seemed. And and, and it's all good. And, and and listen, I'll tell you the honest truth. Those conversations made me feel the worst. The ones that are so kind and so polite and say, I just don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good right where I'm at. That's horrible, because at least, you know, if someone was rude, you get upset and, like, you know, get intense with them, right? But they're just so nice, and I'm just, and, 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 I, I, you know, but you could, like, get motivated. You know, they're just so nice. It's like, what, what do I, you know, where do I go from here? You don't go anywhere. You just go pray, amen? Hit the flow. Glory to God. Get up out of bed and hit the flow. Here's the thing. I want you to get this. You either receive it or you reject it. And, and what I want to point out is to struggle to live out the gospel is not rejection, And what I mean is that some of us, as we're trying to follow Jesus, as we're trying to walk with him, there was a struggle that we were experiencing. The Apostle Paul experienced that same struggle. He said that there was another law that was working in him. There was something going on. The thing that he willed to do, he wasn't doing. And the thing that he didn't want to do, that was the thing. He was battling. There was a battle going on. And he recognized at the end of that, he's like, man, but the grace of God. Thank God for Jesus. He is is grateful. We all struggle. So here's what I'm saying. A struggle to live out the gospel, that's not rejection. But the person who is not even making any effort to live out the gospel, that is rejection. Amen? Amen. So the reason why I bring this up and it's so important is because the question is for you. Don't listen to this for someone else. Are you responding to the gospel in the affirmative or are you rejecting it? You personally, think about it. Are you responding to Jesus saying, yes, I need you? Yes, I am following you. Or are you saying, I'm good where I'm at? Or are you saying, I don't want Jesus, I don't want to follow him? The second thing I ask you to repeat after me, repeat this again, please say, there is usually another opportunity to share the message with those who reject it. Verses 5 through 14, they show us a wonderful picture of God's grace. They show us an amazing picture of how merciful God is. When you look in context and you read throughout the Gospels, you find that these religious leaders, they are the same people who were hearing the message of John the Baptist. They rejected him. They didn't want to hear his message. They didn't want to believe that he was the forerunner for the Messiah. They didn't want to believe that. They didn't just reject John the Baptist, but they also went on to reject Jesus himself. They rejected Jesus to the degree that they crucified him. And so they reject John. They reject Jesus. After Jesus dies, resurrects, and ascends into heaven, he sends out his apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles are preaching the message. What do they do again? They reject the message again. And look at that. He doesn't strike them dead. He gives them another opportunity to hear the gospel. He gives them another opportunity to hear the message. And here's and here's what what, what we what we should have learned last week. The message of the gospel is undeniable truth. Say amen to that. It is undeniable truth. It is undeniable, one hundred percent. And what and what we saw here, if you look at verse verse thirteen, I love this verse. This is, this is probably one of my my favorite verses when it when it comes to people um, or to give an answer to those who say, "Well, you know, I'm not educated enough, or I don't know as much as you, or whatever." Listen, let this be your memory verse if that is your reason why you don't share the gospel. He says this. He says, "Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John." And perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Listen, I am not against education. I am in, you know, I'm on my way to, glory to God, y'all pray for me. I'm on my way to getting my bachelor's degree in theology. I'm, I'm, my goal is to get there by the end of this year. I'm in my third year right now, I've been there for a long time. We well, are just going to say, I've been hitting the snooze button. I think I got a few do- different alarm clocks for that and all that stuff. I mean, it's been crazy. But anyway, y'all pray for me because I'm, I'm going to get delivered, and um, hopefully this will be my year. But here's the point. The point is that I was, I, I, th- th- there was a time when I first became a Christian, like I believe the only thing I, I didn't for my first year being a Christian, I would not read any other book other than the Bible. First of all, I didn't like reading. I, I, that was the first thing. I didn't like reading, so it wasn't a hard thing for me. But I loved to read the Bible. In the first, the first three months of being a Christian, I read through the entire New Testament. I've told you testimonies of God just speaking to me as I'm reading the Word of God. I went, you know, I'm going, going through the Bible, learning the scriptures, really internalizing and, and looking at the Word of God. And so the point is that I was like, no, I don't need to read anything. And then after that, I started to read other books here and there, but not very much. I, I really wasn't like that. Um, so as time progressed, I just started to feel like, man, I want to go to Bible college. Now, mind you, I had plenty of people that were around me like, oh, well, you don't necessarily need that, whatever, whatever. And here's the point. The point is, I'm, I'm telling you about preaching the gospel. I'm not talking about what, you know, anything else. I'm talking to you about preaching the gospel. You do not have to have a, a, a degree in theology in order to preach the gospel. Did right. you hear what I said? You do not have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to have read 19 books on how to preach the gospel. You do not have to have that. There is one prerequisite for you and I to be able to preach the gospel, and it is that we spend time with Jesus. And listen, it is impossible for me to fully spend time with Jesus if I'm not spending time with him in his word. Amen, somebody. Because I can sit there and say, yeah, Jesus, we're hanging out, and I'm talking to you, and I'm singing songs to you, and all that good stuff, and that's wonderful. But when is Jesus going to speak to me? Can I tell you something? 90% of the time, Jesus is going to speak to you directly through his word. He is going to speak to you through the scriptures. That's the reason why I don't get up here and just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to talk about something today but we go through the Bible, we go through the scriptures, we expound the scriptures because it is the scriptures that are going to renew our minds, that are going to renew our hearts and so as you and I spend time with Jesus, there's two things and I'll encourage you in this, if you sit down, take some notes all you gotta do is every time you hear me say something about the gospel, write down what I'm saying spend time with Jesus and you'll be an effective witness because when you get out there, there is something that is undeniable, the message by itself is undeniable, but the witnesses become undeniable when you spend time with Jesus, it does Mean that you won't be rejected, Amen. Oh. but undeniable in the fact that you have spent time with him. People, I, I love this. People cannot argue when, when I when I sit down and look. You don't have to have the crazy testimony that I have, Amen? Right. Amen. But when I sit down and I talk about who I was and I talk about what Jesus has done, who who can deny that? Mm-hmm. No one can deny that. No one can deny what Jesus has done. But listen, you don't have to have that story. Your relationship with Jesus, who can deny that? Who can deny your time with him? Who can deny your 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 experience and no one can deny those things? And so you have to have this relationship because the gospel is an undeniable truth, but God wants us to be undeniable messengers who are supported. And look at verse 14. It says, and seeing, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They could say nothing against it. So God's message is undeniable. His messengers should be undeniable. And we should also be surrounded by signs of that undeniable message. In other words, our lives should be changing the lives of others. Why? Because we are filled with the Spirit of God. Because you are filled with the Spirit of God. If you are a child of God, you have the power of God resident in you in order to bring change to those who desperately need it. Not change to be like you, but change to be like Jesus. Not change to want to do things that you want them to do, but change to be able to seek Jesus and to be able to turn from their sin. Jesus is this gospel message that we should be preaching. It is all about him saving and building his church upon the revelation of who he is and what he has done. That's the message that we should be preaching unto those who need it. Amen? Amen. We get to our third point that we did not go over last week. Say this with me. Say, there is always, always. potential persecution. For preaching the gospel. Look at verse 15 to verse 18 with me. Verse 15 says this. It says, but when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? Now, let's pause for a moment because what has happened is they had a legal proceeding. The elders here of the church at that, oh, I'm not going to say the church, but the elders of the religious community. The religious leaders. You remember the story of Jesus and Nicodemus? How many of y'all remember that story? Just raise your hand real quick. If you remember that story? Okay, I'm gonna just explain it then because only three hands went up. Um, but here's the thing Jesus, this guy named Nicodemus, he was a teacher of the law. When Jesus was there, I believe it's in the book of John chapter 3 or something like that. Yeah, I think it's John chapter 3. And when Jesus comes, I mean, Nicodemus, you know, comes and asks Jesus some questions about being born again and all of this stuff. And and Jesus, that's where, you know, Jesus talks about us being born again, you know, not of flesh but of the spirit and, and of water. And he, you know, says some things that are kind of deep or whatever. But here's the point. The point is, he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is like, how can a person be born again? Can they go back into their mother's womb? And Jesus looked at Nicodemus and was like, dude, are you not a teacher of the law? He was like, hold on a second. You're supposed to be an expert in the laws of God. And you can't understand this. The same people, wasn't Nicodemus here, but the same experts in the law, they were still rejecting Jesus. The people that people were turning to saying, hey, I don't understand what this is saying. Can you explain this to me? Those people were still there, and they were having issues. They couldn't get with this Jesus that was being preached. They had rejected and rejected and rejected. They're the ones that should have known this. So what they did was they called a proceeding. They said, okay, we're going to sit down, and we want to ask these guys, by what name, by what power are you doing this? When they communicate this, they're like, okay, first of all, we can't deny the miracle. Second of all, we really can't deny these guys. I mean, they're, they're not educated. It's not like they would know how to dupe us or, you know, they're, they're making something up. It's not that. This is real. This is substantial. And so the scripture says that now after they've done this, that they're like, well, they can't deny it. So in verse 16, they're conferring among themselves. What are they going to do? They're asking what they should do to these men. The next part in verse 16, it says, for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Hold on a second. When you can't deny something, why would you not accept it? When you can't do anything about If you you can't deny this It's because your heart is hard That's why And because your heart is hard Your eyes will be blind And so these guys Who should have been experts in the law And should have known they were blinded Their hearts were hardened They couldn't see what it was that was, that, That was right before them Which was the salvation that was in Jesus Going on to verse 17 It says, but so that it spreads no further Look, we can't deny this But we don't want this to spread anymore. Why? Because it's going to cause a problem for us. Because we're going to lose our livelihood. You know, we're going to have issues. People are going to continue to question us. It's going to be a problem. So that it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them. That from now on they speak to no one in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all. Nor teach in the name of Jesus. And we'll get to the next part here. But here's what I want you to understand. The greatest fear the enemy has is a people who are fully devoted to the gospel. The greatest fear that the enemy has is a people who are fully devoted to living the gospel. Of people who say, no matter what happens, no matter what occurs, I am going to live the gospel. I am not just going to live the gospel, but I am, see, because it is impossible, hear me when I say this, it is impossible for me to be 100% devoted to the gospel if I am not willing to share the gospel. Listen, here's the thing that we have been, we have bought into this lie, like we can just be good enough and people will recognize a difference. Listen to me. That happens far and few and in between times. Because you know what? You got a whole bunch of people that don't believe in the God that you believe in, and they're trying to be good too. They're in the, you know, they're, they're, they're in the do-gooder committees as well. They want to do good for the homeless. They want to help the hurting. They want to help the... Because you know what? They know those things are right. They want to do good things. And so we, are buy, we, we buy into this lie, like, you know, I just need to live righteously. Hold on a second, but what's the difference between you and the atheist who lives righteously? What's the difference between you? Well, you know, I'm a good husband, and I have a, I have a good marriage, and I'm faithful to my wife. What about the atheist that's a good husband and is faithful to his wife? Well, I'm a good dad, and I spend time. What about the atheist that's a good dad, and he spends time with his children? What about those things? What makes the difference? I love what one writer said regarding this miracle that happened. He said, It was not the miracle that validated the gospel, it was the gospel that validated the miracle. Because Satan is a liar. The Bible says that he produces false signs and false wonders. And you know what people say? That was miraculous. You want to know why? Because it is not logical that whatever happened, happened. Listen, church, you need to understand. The devil is real. He is is not a natural being. He is a supernatural being. He is not comparable to God in any way, shape, or form. Nonetheless, he has power and he has ability. And those things the Bible says that the very elect would be deceived if possible. It is because of these false signs and these false wonders. And and, and here is what we got to understand. Is that when you look at this miracle that is here, they didn't just sit by and say, yeah, it's a great miracle, and that was it. But they preached a message to confirm where this miracle came from. Amen. And it's the same thing with my life. When I, when I endeavor to be a, great, a good husband or a good father or I endeavor to be whatever it is that I am endeavoring to be to bring glory and honor to Jesus, there is one reason why I do it, and that is because I want to honor him. It is because of him, and hopefully it will reflect the gospel and give me an opportunity to clearly communicate it. And the beauty of this is, is that my atheist friend, he will fail at being a good husband, and he has nowhere to turn. I do. He will fail at being a good father. He has nowhere to turn. I do. You see, this is the difference and that's the beauty that we can point people. It's not an excuse. You know, we, we love to say, well, I'm just not perfect. Listen, being, being imperfect should not be an excuse for you not to strive yeah. after Jesus. That's right. I'm just imperfect. Okay, we all are. And Jesus still says clearly to be perfect as my father is. That's some tough words right there. <laughs> he, well, he wasn't joking. He's was talking about be complete. Be, 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 be what I've called you to be. We see that the people here threaten these guys. They threaten them to shut up. And here's what you got to get. What the enemy cannot control or contaminate, he will try to silence by intimidation. What the enemy cannot control, he, you know what, what, what the devil wants, he wants you to just come to church, have a real good time. He wants you to come up in here, he wants you to boo-hoo cry, he wants you to worship God with all of your heart. He wants you to feel real good about your religious activity. He wants you to he wants you to commit. It's a small group ministry. He wants you to commit to life groups. He wants you to commit to connect. He wants you to be part of that. He wants you to come and, you know, connect with the man. He wants you to come and do all of those things. Just keep it right there. Keep your Christianity right there. You can do all that. Just keep it right. When you leave here, just, you know, don't, don't worry about witnessing anyone. You've done your good deed. You've done your religious part. He wants to control that. When he can't control that, the next thing he's going to try to do is contaminate that. He's going to try to give you a watered-down version of the gospel. He's going to try to let the words of this world or the ways that our society communicate. He's going to try to contaminate us with a political correctness mentality that is not necessary. I love Ben Carson. Um, Pastor Chad, he said, I don't know if he sent it to you all. I hope that he sent it to the whole church. But the, the, um, Ben Carson, he was speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast. You know, he had the president and his wife sitting there. It would, I mean, that would have probably been the most, I don't think I could be as bold as Ben Carson was. I don't know if you all saw that speech that he gave, but let me just tell you. That brother was giving a lecture on the economy. He was giving a lecture on healthcare, and he was just totally disagreeing. I was like, oh, my goodness. Now listen, he, and he, he started out. This is what he started out. I thought this was really cool. He said, you know, I, I don't I don't agree with this whole, you know, politically correct, you know, the way that our society goes. He said, because what that does is that goes against our First Amendment, which is to communicate what is on our hearts. He said, and it's not that we want to be offensive. He said, we need to be Loving, but we also need to be clear on what we believe. Amen? Amen. He said, he said, he, and he, and he said Here, here's what happens in, in, in this type of society. He said, I was giving a lecture somewhere, and he said, I was comparing a dog's brain with a man's brain. He said, so, as I was going through this lecture, he said, someone came up to me after the lecture, and they were like, you can't talk about a dog like that. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Now, 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 hold on a second. You, you can't talk about a man like that, but he was, he was, he was he driving. He said, people hear what they want to hear. And they get caught up on that one thing. That one thing that you said instead of hearing everything you were communicating. Right? right? This is what happens. Brings me to a really good point. I was talking to Pastor Chad and I was talking to Pastor Aldo. And, I, and I'm a firm believer that while I don't believe in being politically correct, I do believe in being loving and compassionate. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was sharing, I shared a video with you, and it was dealing with the way that our personalities and everything are developed, and I showed you this video. Y'all remember the video with the guy that it was, I can't remember, it was called the Ash Test or whatever, and so they brought this dude in there with like a couple of actors, and they were like, hey, they said, listen, um, you know, these guys are actors, this one guy's not, and we're going to ask him which line is the longest. Y'all remember that? And you remember that, and initially the dude was like, that line is the right line. But everybody else in the room, they were paid to say it was the wrong line. You know, the other line was right. So by the next, you know, throughout, I don't know if it was the next one, but, you know, throughout this experiment, suddenly the dude came to the point that he was like, yeah, I guess it is that line. And so suddenly he started to change because he was going with the flow of the culture. Well, anyway, as I was communicating that, I also began to talk about the agenda that is being pushed forward. And I talked about homosexuality and stuff like that. And so Pastor Chad was, you know, talking to me. And as he was sharing with me, he said, you know, when you said that, it was kind of hard how you said it. And I said, okay. I thought about that for a moment. I was like, all right, so let me think. And I really did my best, man. And unfortunately—and I say unfortunately, but I'll, I'll say it was fortunate as well. You know, you could take it whichever way you want. But I went to the—I went to our um, our video that we have of the preaching, and for whatever reason, the whole part where I'm saying all of this—you can see me. <laughs> that whole part is bleeped out. I'm like, glory to God. So I can't even like really correct myself. Um, so I, go, so I go to Pastor Aldo, and him and I are discussing it, and Pastor Aldo, he brings... And now, Pastor Aldo has the worst memory of all of us. I'm telling you straight up, he'll admit it. That's true. He does, okay? But he remembered something. He remembered what I was saying in context. He said, Bishop, you were communicating the reason, because the, the issue was, um, the, you know, when I, when, I, when I made the statement about the biggest loser this season, how I hate it or whatever... He said, you were communicating the reason why you hate that is because the producers decide what gets out there. Your issue was not homosexuality in and of itself. It was the agenda that is being pushed forward. Let me tell you why this was so offensive to me. Because a couple of months ago, I went to a men's conference. And when I went to this men's conference, Anthony Evans, y'all know who Anthony Evans is, right? Anthony Evans is a Christian singer. And he was on The Voice, if you didn't know, I think he was on season two. I stopped watching The Voice after season one because I just was like, this is a little crazy. But anyway, he was on season two. I never watched season two. But when he was on The Voice, he was criticized by a lot of Christians because he didn't say Jesus enough. Be- because he wasn't Christian enough for them. And while I didn't ever see The Voice on that on that season, you know, I was just like, Man, you know, I mean, I kind of, I just basically just kind of believe the hype. I never talked about it or anything like that. But when I went to the men's conference, he was leading worship. And he said something that was so amazing. He said, you know, I got criticized, you know, for being on The Voice. And he went through the whole story. And he said, but what people don't realize is that there are hours upon hours of interviews that are done. And the editors decide what is going to be shown and what is not going to be shown. And he said, you know how many hours of editing time are in the room that I talked about Jesus, and no one will ever know it. And and, and that's why this part offended me so much. And so the first thing that I got out of the whole thing is, you know what? People shouldn't listen to just what they want to hear. They should hear what is being said. But my personal apology is not what I said, but what I didn't say. Because I want to make it crystal clear. There may be someone in here that is struggling, or you may know someone who is struggling with this homosexuality. You may know someone who is battling with this. And what I want you to understand is that Jesus died to liberate them from this identity crisis. He loves them. He put his, look, he showed his love for them by the blood that he shed. And here is what we as Christians need to do. Expect the persecution. It's going to come. The moment that you rise up and say that that is sin, homosexuality is sin. Did you hear that? Just like I said last week, adultery, sin. Lying, sin. Gossip, sin. God hates all of those things, but he died for all of them. And so our job is to be relentless in our preaching of the gospel. But to make sure, and I want to say if I offended you in the wrong way because I didn't make that clear, I apologize. Because I want you to know my heart is this. The reason why this agenda ills me the way that it does is because what it does is it is a hindrance to someone speaking into that person's life that is struggling with this identity to let them know, listen, that is not the way God created you and that is not how God wants you to be. Because the agenda is this. The agenda is, listen, this is normal. We have clubs in school for this. We have support groups for this. And this is just normal. This is just the way that you're going to be. That's the issue, church. Look at verse 19 with me, please. Verse 19 says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. I love that. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Say this with me. There is always a choice to keep preaching or to stop. There is always a choice. See, there's going to be opposition. There is going to be opposition to the message. But the question is this: what is going to be your choice? Are you going to be a faithful witness to the gospel no matter who it offends? Or are you going to stop? Are you going to become more tactful or are you just going to get out of the fight completely? How are you, how how, how are you going to respond when the persecution rises? Well, I was in a service last night for one of my pastor friends on part of the board of his church and we, it, it was an inauguration for a new building that they have, and as, as we were in the service, the first guy that opened up, he began to talk about Gideon, and he, he did a, he did a spoken word piece that was tied into Gideon's life, and he said, you know, when you look at Gideon's life, it's like Gideon thought he was the least of everyone, right? He said, man, I'm the least of all of these people. I'm the least of anyone in this, you know, in, 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 in my tribe and everything, and he's like, and God calls him this mighty man of valor, and he's like, hold on a second. Who are you talking to? I don't know, you must, you must, there must be someone else in this room with me because it ain't me. And the, point, and, and the point of the spoken word piece was that, you know, when God calls you, opposition is going to rise. When God mandates you to do something, opposition is going to rise. And, 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 and I love that he said it's the opposite, right? It's the, you know, the, the opposites, the things that oppose you. But when we look at this from where it really is, you know what those oppositions are? They're just opportunities for God. That's all they are. They're just opportunities for God. So while I just talked about this agenda, listen, that's just an opportunity for you and I to be more loving and to demonstrate that we don't hate anyone. Amen? Amen? Amen. That we don't have issues like that, but that we do love genuinely. And that like I told you about the pastor who did the whole blog on his relationship with someone who was struggling with that. He made it clear. See, Christians, listen, this is the reason why it is so important that we understand our need for the gospel. Because when you or I forget how badly we need the gospel, we'll point to everyone else how they need it and we don't. You need the gospel to be delivered from that sin. Okay, what about you? But when I come from the place, look, man, I need the gospel just like you do every day. I need even more because I'm more aware of all of my sins. Because I'm reading this Bible, and as I'm reading it, I'm seeing, wow, I'm not doing that. I am doing that. That is not me. I re- oh, my goodness. Like, I'm going to just put this Bible down because, you know, I-, I mean, really, that's what happens. I've said this before. The people who are the closest to God feel the furthest. And the people who are the furthest from God feel the closest. The closer you get to the light of who God is and the revelation of who he is, the more what? The more you're like, oh, my goodness, I am wretched. <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, when, when you, know, you, you look in, the, in, in a regular mirror, right, with, with dim lighting, and, and you know, you, you're like, I, I look okay, you know, my complexion's all right, but then you get one of those lights that are like magnified in that big mirror, and all of a sudden you see all these holes in your skin, and you see all these, you're like, what on earth? It is the same thing when you come into the mirror of God's word, and it's not, listen, it is not God trying to put you on blast, it is God trying to make you more like his son, amen, hallelujah, So what happened to these guys? The highest court in their day and in their time called them in and said, listen, we command you not to speak in this name anymore. We command you not to do it. Now, I want to make this crystal clear. Let me make this crystal clear. Say this with me. This is not an endorsement to defy governing authorities. Hear what I just said? I am not saying go and create civil war. That is not what I'm saying. I am not saying, you know, well, you just... Listen, because here's the problem. The problem is we disagree with something and you'll leave here... Again, you know, you'll hear me talking about the dog instead of the man. But anyway, Bishop said I can go ahead and just run. No, I am not telling you to get crazy. Well, I don't like that rule. I don't care if you like the rule. This wasn't about them not liking a rule. This is about them having a command from God, Jesus himself go and make disciples go and be my witnesses go and preach the gospel and so as a Christian any law that anyone makes whether it is legislation they try to tell you not to speak in the name of Jesus I would hope that you're bold enough to speak in the name of Jesus now that doesn't mean when you're in your workplace and you're in, in your workplace that doesn't allow that you need to obey those laws while you're on their time during your break different story a oh, bishop I can't do it in the building you're right get out of the building Walk across the street, have the conversation about Jesus. Respect the law that is there because it's their time. But here's what we have to understand. As Christians, that's all they did. They said, no, hold on a second. You're trying to tell us not to talk about Jesus. Sorry. You tell us what's right. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? Keep it moving. Amen? Amen. As Minister Juan would say, keep it moving. Keep it moving. (laughs) The fifth point. I'm almost done, glory to God. The fifth point. Say this with me. Persecution. Persecution. brought on by the gospel, gospel, should always result result in a greater dependence dependence, and cry unto God God for his power power to keep preaching. preaching. Look at verse 23 with me. Verse 23 says, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Notice they, they reported it. They didn't complain. So when they heard that, they everybody in that room raised their voice to God with one accord. They had one heart. So it wasn't like, oh, man, what are we going to do? No. They said they all raised their voice unto God, and they said this. They said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. So what are they doing? They're acknowledging the sovereignty of God. They're acknowledging that God, you, we recognize you as creator. We recognize you as God alone. Then he goes on to say, who by the mouth of your servant David has have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So he says, you're sovereign, you're king, and these people, they lost their mind. That's what he's saying. He's saying these people, they, they, they thought, oh, you know, we're, we're the ones in authority. We we have the right to tell them what to do. We have the right to come against your purposes. That isn't what God is saying, that's not right. They didn't have this authority to do what they wanted to do. They were supposed to be following God's laws. And so they acknowledge the Scriptures. Now, mind you, they're praying biblically. They're acknowledging God's sovereignty. Then they're praying biblically. Then he goes on to say in verse 27, he says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, notice, anything that happened, it was not because Pontius Pilate was so wicked or because this one was so bad. or because It it was because God purposed this. God purposed for his son to die in our place. He purposed this because he was showing us his love and his plan. He goes on to say in verse 29, he says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now, notice he, say, he doesn't say, God, change their hearts so they don't beat us. He doesn't say, God, change the situation so it's easier for us to preach. That isn't, what he, that isn't what he prays. That isn't what they ask for. They simply say to God, they say, look on their threats. You've, you, you've heard their threats. And so we ask you to stretch your hand, to, to, to give us this boldness to speak. And he says, And he says exactly how in verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I love this. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The believers did not complain, but they cried out in faith to God in the face of persecution for him to fill them with power, that he would use them. And whenever we are faced with those decisions, the right thing to do is say, God, I will be your preacher, but I can't do it on my own. I will be your witness, but I can't do it on my own. I will be that voice, but I cannot do it on my own. Fill me with your spirit. And I want to encourage you, church. God is looking for people to continually fill with his spirit in order to advance his work of his kingdom in the earth. He's looking for people that say, you know what? No matter what's going on, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want to be used by you. The sixth point, and we're getting ready to close here. Say this with me. The gospel gospel results in greater unity, unity. Compassion, compassion, and giving within the believers. Look at verse 32. They prayed. The Holy Spirit fills them. It says, Now the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And, 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 and Jose, who was, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we see three things that happen here. As a result, within the community. So, this is a question for us. Okay, you're a Christian. There's two questions. If you're a Christian, then do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to give your life to Him? Do you want to recognize your need for Him? That's one question. If you're a Christian, these are questions that are for you. And these are, and, and there are three questions that are very, very important because a spirit-filled community is the result of the gospel working in our hearts and is evidence in our lifestyle. It is, it is evidence by the way we love others and by the way that we love God. And we look at this picture. The church should ask these questions. We should ask ourselves this question. Number one, am I one heart with my church family? Am I one heart and am I one mind with my church family? Am I going in the same direction with them or am I cool being a separatist? Am I cool doing my own thing? Am I cool having it or being my way? If I'm not growing in unity, there's an issue because the spirit of God wants to bring unity into the body and that way we can walk together and fulfill God's purposes. The second question is, do I see my things, you know, like my, 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 my items, my money, my home, my vehicles, or do I see those things as being at the disposal, this is tough, of my church family because it all really belongs to God anyways, or do I have this entitlement mentality? Man, I work hard for this stuff. Seriously. Because these people, they were growing in unity. The scripture says none of them looked at their stuff as their own none of them. Now does that mean you'll take care of your house? No. Does that mean you let people abuse you? No, that's not the question. That's immaturity if you're thinking that way. Does that mean, but that means that when someone needs a ride to church, I'm there for that. That means that when someone is going through a hardship that you're there to feel that. If that means opening your home, you know, when my wife and I, when we first got married, we had obviously a a four bedroom home. We had a few, you know, bedrooms that were empty. Hello. And we had some people that were in need in different situations, different times of their life. And whenever we could do it, we would open the doors. We didn't open the door to everyone. I'd be lying to tell you that. The people that we knew that we going to abuse and that we're going to misuse. And the people that, those people, we were not going to be trying to help them. We were not going to enable anyone. That's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to show real love. So do you, do you, do you see things as, that's my stuff. And here's the one that y'all are really going to love this one. Because I know you love the other two, so you're really going to love this one. Am I growing into an extravagant giver? Or am I cool giving just enough? You know, I got to give 10%. I'm going to do that. Faithfully. To the penny. Right? That's cool. Paul says we should be growing in this grace of giving. When Pastor Chad prays, he always has you repeat that with him. By the way, I wrote that prayer out and I asked him to do that. Amen. Amen. Because I want you to grow in the grace of giving. Because the Bible says, not because I, listen, not because I need more or I want more. It's not that. It is because you and I as Christians should be growing in this grace of giving. And I'm just talking about just, well, you know, I'm going to give an extra dollar that's not extravagant hello <laughs> well Bishop it may be extravagant you know what you're right that may be extravagant for some people for some people like like Ben Carson said when he was talking about the whole tax taxation system he's like look you know the the author of the or the, the creator of the universe he has a really good plan it's called a tithe everybody gives ten percent of what they get so the guy who made you know ten thousand dollars gives a thousand the guy who made ten dollars he gave a dollar right and so ultimately it may be that may be extravagant, but for but, but for the one that you know is just a dollar would be nothing. Are you growing into an extravagant giver? Are you? Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, if you're a Christian and you're not growing in unity with the body, you're not growing in compassion for others, and you're not growing in giving, there is a problem. There's a problem. And the beauty is, the gospel is the solution. There's a solution that's what I love about Jesus he doesn't just present us with problems you know you have those people in your life they always got a problem they never have a solution Jesus is not that one Jesus is like you have problems I'm the solution amen God is faithful and just that if you confess your sins unto him that he will do what? he will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness amen, hallelujah and anyone who says they don't have sin they make God a liar amen amen So if that verse doesn't apply to you, I'm sorry that I offended you. (laughs) Let's all stand to our feet, please.